That sounds more offensive than it is. Look, <laughs> what else do you have the opportunity to grow a lockdown beard? Well, this is it. In lockdown is really the only time to grow a lockdown beard, it would seem. That's true. I, I can't. I'm, I'm too young. I can't. <laughs> that head of her, or lack of head of her, says otherwise. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, so the return of rugby seems just about as far away as ever, really, but with Ulster Rugby releasing their squad list for the 2021 season, whenever that actually happens, at least we have something meaningful to talk about. So we look at that and we also look into the latest developments in the sport around the globe from world rugby elections to rule changes, and we'll tackle all of your listener questions too. So first of all then, the squad, the big news of course, was that Jordy Murphy, Will Addison, and Louis Ludic are all staying. First of all, Jordy Murphy, John, around Christmas time, I think it was, you had come up with your little hypothesis. I think it was when he missed out on the, the Ireland stock tape, wasn't it? That he maybe was, we maybe shouldn't be overly surprised if he was heading on to Pastures News. So, good news, pleasantly surprised that he's staying. Yeah, well, we'd said on the last podcast, whenever that was, March time, uh, that we thought he'd probably stay. and. Same with the other two guys as well, and ultimately that's what ended up happening. It's an interesting one for him, I think, because, as you say, he missed out on the Six Nations wider squad altogether. Guys like um, Will Connors at Leinster, for example, coming in ahead of him, and that's since the World Cup, having missed out in the World Cup squad Mm -hmm. initially, gone out, played in the game against Russia, and got, uh, got injured in that game. So, like his Ireland prospects, just before this, um, just before the shutdown, really, probably looked as bleak as ever. Not, I think, because of how he was performing on the pitch, but just the way that the last number of selection calls had gone, and the fact that there were eight or nine back rowers that seemed to be ahead of him now in the pecking order. But I think when you look at somebody like Jordy Murphy and what he's brought to Ulster. It's a huge signing or re-signing, as it were, because in tandem with Marcel Katsia, he's really been able to boost the back row stocks, which were seen as a problem, say, two years ago when Katsia was out mm-hmm. injured and uh, Nick Williams had departed. So it was a really important piece of business to get done. And it'll be, from... Murphy's perspective, it will be interesting to see if anything changes in that uh, Ireland regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike, do you think there's any chance of uh, Jordy coming back into the Ireland squad? Mm-hmm. I suppose that this is re-signing really makes that, like his lack of call-ups mm-hmm. recently even more puzzling. Like there was obviously not any issue of him moving on. So why, why hasn't he been about the squad? Um, no, I, I don't really think it will boost his Ireland chances, Gareth. Um, I think, as Johnny said, there are far too many people in front of him. I think he's, he's what is he, the wrong side of 30 now. Um, I think Andy Farrell has made it clear that he's not really in his plans. He hasn't moved on, but we don't know what was or wasn't on the table. Just because he's committed to staying here for Ulster, potentially now, 
see out his career doesn't really mean that he himself is thinking or anyone's thinking Ireland here. Um, this is about playing on. This is about seeing out his time. And he'll do a good job for Ulster if he stays fit. There's no doubt about that. And it is, uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not sort of um, getting all uh, pessimistic about it, but I, I wouldn't, I'd be surprised to see him in a green shirt again, though, of course, having said that, we don't know how many actual games Ireland are now <laughs> about to play. Actually, we don't know how many games are going to be played at all, full stop. But if Ireland have a raft of, of games, you know, you never know. He might make it into some kind of expanded squad. But uh, if he didn't play for Ireland again, I wouldn't be the slightest bit surprised. I think I'd be surprised if he did feature again. Yeah. Actually, sorry to completely contradict the question. <laughs> are, we, uh, are we looking at it with Ulster eyes? Do you think that's think the Ireland pack and orders about right? I think Jordy's getting what he would have been told that he needed to do, which is play, play first of all, and play well provincially. So the fact of the matter is only three of these guys can play for Leinster at once. So it does surprise me a bit that, especially after some of the performances he had in the Champions Cup, that guys that aren't necessarily getting much of a game at Leinster or getting the Champions Cup games at Leinster all jumped ahead of him, but you know, he is 29 now, so those guys that are coming into the squad are all of a much younger profile. But in the here and now, well, as much as you can be in the here and now when we don't know when they're going to play again. But I think it is, personally, I find it a bit, certainly find it surprising at the time that he didn't get into that, um, whatever it was, 53-man stock take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that is, that, that's a blow, but I, I think it's indicative of the fact he didn't get into it, uh, where he's probably going in Andy Farrell's mind anyway. But never say never, as they say. Oh, no, I'd agree with you. I'm just saying I'm, I'm not entirely sure why, because I thought he was playing well. And as promising and talented as those guys that are coming behind him are, they weren't necessarily getting that much game for Leinster at the time. Mm. No surprises then that uh, Will Addison and Louis Ludic are both staying at Ulster. Um, just hope for injury-free days ahead, particularly for Addison. He could just be a, a massive, massive boost if he can finally get a full season under his belt. But yeah. Anybody's going to get a full season under their belt anytime I think, soon. I think full, yeah, full season's being a bit optimistic. We yeah, But it would be just fantastic to see Will Addison actually string you know, a series of games in a consistent season together because it's just eluded him. And he, you know, we we've seen what he brings. Um, he's a very exciting talent. We can play several positions, and you just have to hope that when we do ever get back to it, that you know he'll be fit enough to uh, to play a full part in what we have. Mm-hmm. So the other big squad news was the three players that are moving on. So first of all, type them individually. First of all, Angus Kernan. Now he had made. Uh, 18 appearances this last season but just three this season so opportunities increasingly limited um, were you expecting to, to see this Jonathan that he's going or was this a little bit of a surprise I think when you look at the picture in the squad when you've got Craig Gilroy Jacob Stockdale Robert Balakun, then you've got players like Ludic, Fares, Addison who can all play on the wing. You know, we've seen squads where somebody has 
experience as Craig or he hasn't made the 23 in recent times, you know? Yeah. Um, so in the, like in, the, in that regard, I suppose it's not too surprising at all. And it, it could be one of these where he goes to England and really kicks on in his career. You know, we've seen, you know, Steenson uh, would have played in the championship. Uh, Ian Wynn has been playing for Exeter for however many years now. Um, all the guys at Worcester, you know, Leaving Ulster not necessarily the end of your career. It's important to stress. So, and do we know where he's going? Uh, Ealing, uh, Ealing Trailfinders in the championship. Yeah, yeah. So, little layout for him there then. Uh, we'll just have the small issue of uh, getting past Saris if they're going to get promotion next year. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could be an uphill As well as that, he'd, he'd sort of fallen even behind the likes of Rob Little, who I know um, Dan McFarland certainly when. Rob Little was fit and playing, you know, pointed out he thought he was playing very well. You've also got Aaron Sexton somewhere in the mix as well, coming, one would assume. It'd be very hard for Angus to, if you like, hope, you know, to, to really get game time unless there's a whole raft of people who are either missing with Ireland or, or, or drop with injury. Yeah. So, yeah, because that's obviously important as well. You know, we talk about Jordy. <laughs> And it's almost it's as important the guys coming behind as the guys that are ready, I suppose. And you've got Aaron Sexton and Ethan McElroy obviously coming in from his sub academy deal on the a full academy place next year. So um you've got two guys who will be two years out of school in the academy as well as all those other guys, yeah. 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 Clive Ross then, uh, Michael, leaving after <laughs> seventy three appearances, but uh, over the last probably couple of seasons, opportunities increasingly limited for him as well. You know, he was uh, playing club rugby for Belna Hinch. He was talking out for Ulster A earlier in the season. And uh, and basically, there wasn't really any way really in for him, I suppose. Uh, but he had been with Ulster for quite a while, right enough. Um, but yeah, you know, he, um, he, was, um, he was a decent pro. He did, always did a decent job. Uh, but I guess, you know, them's the breaks and it, it, it's come. And I'm not sure if he's going to, I don't know if he's going on anywhere else or not. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, there you are. And then the the other player to leave was Zach McCall, 25, been at Ulster all his life, really. Didn't make a senior appearance, which is just must be, uh, must be pretty disappointing. And he released, which I'm sure... Uh, most of our listeners will have seen by now a little statement on social media yesterday um, saying that he just wants to shine a light for the guys who are on the fringes of squads and remind others that it's not always rainbows and butterflies. That professional sport is ruthless and it can take your toll on take its toll on your mental health just as much as your physical health. It's a real point that he has and something really interesting that probably a lot of fans don't really think about. But just what a struggle this must be. Like he's now 25, came through the academy, got his senior contract last year, must have been fancying the chances. And a year on, he's gone without so much as an appearance. Like I think, as he said there as well, that he dedicated his life to rugby in Ulster. So for this to be sort of the, the death of a dream somewhat, I'm sure, um, <laughs> it's just it's interesting and right to shine a light on the, the mental aspect of that. Yeah, like... A- Zach's probably right up there for years of service without getting a game. Like John Donnan's probably the only other one that I can really think of um, in recent times that had been there for that long without um, 
you know, without getting to make his debut. So that's obviously tough. And it's one of the, you know, Ulster have whatever it is, 43 contracted players plus 15 out in the academy and 23 can play <laughs> a week. So more than half of your squad at the end of every week is annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> and if that happens every week and every week, it is a really tough position for a lot of those younger players to be in. The ones that are like, say, fourth choice, where in a sport like rugby, you're required because two injuries can happen in the same position at any moment. But if they don't, then you're, as Michael says, talking out in the All Ireland League or waiting for the six or seven A games that there are a year, you know? So we'll see. We'll keep a keep a lie out for uh, for Zach McCall. So that leaves Ulster then with, as you say, John, forty three contracted names in the senior squad. So looking through that squad as it is now, happy with it? Good squad. Anywhere where it's a, a little weak, any problems that you can foresee, or is it uh, looking pretty good? Well, it obviously depends on injuries. So whenever we were last talking to Ulster, which was three months ago, um. Sam Carter was still out injured. Mm-hmm. Given how much rugby over the course of the year that Ian Anderson misses, I think you're probably a little light at lock. Yeah. Um, but that's on the understanding that if you're talking about it with, you know, a week when Henderson's away with Ireland and Sam Carter's injured. So if Carter's back and we don't know when international rugby's coming back, so Henderson could theoretically be available for Ulster for large chunks. Um, then you're obviously pretty good. Like Alan O'Connor was having a really good season before before it broke up. Um, I think you're far closer to being in a position where you have three players capable of starting a Champions Cup game in every position, which is where you need to be. Yeah. I think the signings of Matthewson and Madigan bring depth in that regard and that's without going and spending lots of money on an NIQ I think that's where Ulster were always going to need to improve this season it was going to be very hard to improve the first 15 without going out and spending a lot of money mm-hmm. which I don't think they were going to do yes yeah, the that you might have thought maybe would have been on the way out um, you talk about the depth in the half-pack possessions, mm. the likes of Johnny Stewart even, but is, uh, is still there. That's right. Yeah, and I think there's like there's guys in that squad who probably thought they were leaving themselves, never mind us thinking they were leaving. <laughs> um, mm. So the size there of the overall squad, I think, is actually um, quite big, maybe, compared to what we will see in the future, where without going too far down a coronavirus rabbit hole, squads on the whole are obviously going to have to contract when the sport generates less money, obviously. Why do you think that the way the capital's so big? It's interesting. Yeah. Homegrown players are obviously cheaper than players that aren't from here, by and large. So there could be an appreciation that what you have at the minute is likely to be what you have in a year or two down the line. Because you're not going to be bringing too many people in, no. you would imagine, in the post-shutdown landscape, which is going to be everybody trying to save money. Yeah. So there is that. And if you look at positions where they've kept players that there was maybe question marks over even 
among the players themselves that they were still going to be around. They're all in specialised positions. So while it might look like you've got a lot of scrum halves or you've got a lot of hookers, again, you know, we saw the situation, I think it was last year, it might have been the year before, where two or three injuries and then you're all of a sudden being like, is there a tight head who can play at the weekend? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, that happened actually. Sorry, I remember now it was in both of the last two seasons that happened where they where were asking genuine questions of, can you field a tight head and a tight head reserve out of what's available, you know? With Yeah, with the attritional, you know, situation in the front row, particularly for props, the more you have, probably the better it is. And they have been very thin on the ground in recent times. So again, here, theoretically, hopefully they, they, they can manage they can manage it a bit better if all those guys stay fit. Just a million dollar question, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's it, exactly. And the back row is going to be interesting because you talk about Clive Ross leaving. Like, he wasn't getting anywhere near the amount of rugby that he was getting last season and especially in previous seasons under previous um, head coaches. But he was still seen occasionally. Mm. And there's not a back rower coming in. So those minutes presumably have to go to somebody. And you've got basically... Timoney, Matty Ray, and then your three starters in the senior squad. I'm not forgetting anybody, am I? Um, you've got you've got the two young guys, and you've got Sean Weedy, Jordy Murphy, and Marcel. Marcel. It's essentially your first choice back row. So there's an opportunity yeah. there for Greg Jones. Greg, Greg Jones, yeah. Oh, Greg Jones too. Sorry, yeah. He's staying. Yeah. Yes, yeah, right. had a few good games when he played. Um, yeah during the past season as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's an opportunity there maybe for a few of the guys um, in the academy. And what we've seen is those academy guys that would have been coming to the end, the likes of Agnew, Dunleavy, the back rowers that have been there for a while, aren't there now. Mm-hmm. But you have Allison, McCann, and, well. and R- Ruben Carruthers coming in. Yeah. So you've got three it, yeah. highly rated back but who have no senior experience at all. So it'll be interesting to see mm-hmm. how they progress. You know, if say the Christmas Interpros, don't know whether we're being optimistic thinking there will be Christmas Interpros or not, but <laughs> you know, those types of fixtures, you know, whether we see those guys coming through next year. Yeah. No. It'd be interesting. I think McCann may well come through if you know if if we get, you know, a properly structured season. Yeah. I think next season Actually, come to think of it, he might be a guy they they've earmarked to potentially have a look at just to see. Particularly, is he? I think he played a pretty good season with the under twenties, didn't he? Ireland, yeah, yeah, pretty good yeah. season. Captain yeah. them, yeah, yeah. them, yeah. So it may well be that that sort of hole there. That's how they see you know that one being resolved. If indeed they do run a little bit short, yeah. So. Our first question, Harry and I, is that I asked, does the signing of Ian Madigan and the versatility he brings in key positions suggest that Dan might be looking at the possibility of a 6-2 split on the bench? It's interesting in the sense that, you know, we saw during the World Cup with South Africa and um, everybody making a big deal about their bench and how effective their bench was basically in bringing on a near-complete pack of forwards again 50 minutes into their game. And, uh, you know, 
there were as many articles about the bomb squad as there were about basically any other aspect of um, South Africa winning the World Cup, with the possible exception of Khaleesi, obviously. Um, but if you look at like what Razi Erasmus has available to him, his team's almost tailored that way, you know, to bring on six giants of men to freshen up his forward pack. You would wonder, would Ulster get the same benefit of that, bringing on uh, six forwards? When, you know, we've just said Locke and back row possibly aren't the deepest areas of their squad, and those would be the extra guys you'd be bringing on. It's hard to say, but but it is definitely where the game's going. Mm -hmm. So... No matter what you think about the rules around replacements and whether there should be eight permitted in a game or not, there's a definite extra advantage in being able to bring on six forwards just in terms of where (laughs) the most traditional aspect of the game is. And in Madigan, Mike Lowry and Angus Curtis, you've got players who can play fullback, centre, and 10 that you can have on the bench. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting option to have. And then it's just a matter of who are the, who are the forwards that you're bringing on? Yeah. You know, who, who is your sixth forward that really brings home the advantage that you get in losing some of the versatility <laughs> that you have? Yeah. No, Depends what way they want to play as well. A lot has been made about the attacking rugby and the speed that Dan wants to bring to the game. If you did do that and say you did do it in an away game in France or whatever, maybe that might detract somewhat from the style of play you may want to to adopt consistently, but it, it is something it is, you know, it, it you know, as Johnny says, it's um, it is a something that is becoming more prevalent and, and you know, maybe that will be something they, they, they do ultimately look at. Yeah, it'd be interesting uh, to have a look at that once the once rugby does return. The real future is in signing backs that can become flankers. Just like get out there, sign Levani Bodia, sign guys like that, and just yeah, that's it. The secret of success. Yeah, let me just close the podcast there. We have it solved. Well, like I don't know how many turnovers McCluskey had last year, but you know it was close. Yeah. <laughs> If we we talk about this uh, this pack then and the potential shortage at lock, that makes the one of the signings for the academy probably even more interesting. In uh, Cormac Azuchukwu, I'm not sure. We need to check that one out. Do you know how to pronounce it, John? I did, but I'm not confident enough to do it now. No, oh well, there we are. All right, just leave me in, and up then that's fine. So Cormac, six foot seven. Why do you think I write rather than do anything? Else? <laughs> six foot seven, a lock, twenty year old coming out of the sevens program. Um, what more do we know about him, and uh, how much can we expect to to see of him in terms of a senior jersey? I suppose that that all depends on um, how he, how he adjusts. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously pretty raw still in terms of his development, but he's got all the physical attributes. Like, he's huge and (laughs) very fast. Um, But he's also very determined. Like, he's 
to get to where he's got to this point in the game, you know, he's had to um, really commit to it. He's not come through a traditional academy structure. I know at various points he's had to sort of go off his own bat to keep playing in some of the places that he's that he has been playing. And then we're seeing more and more of these uh, sevens converts. Mm-hmm. Nick Timoney being um, the most prevalent one at Ulster. So I think it's exciting, but like I wouldn't expect anything of him too soon because you're going to have to give him time to yeah. develop and adjust. Mm-hmm. Michael Lewis, Finley and Ethan McElroy then also being brought into the uh, academy setup finally. Um, not surprising at all. And um, another two players that we uh, could be looking out for. Yeah. Um, oh, no, absolutely. Um, McElroy was playing very well for Queen's last year. I think he was sub-academy at that point and got involved, I think, with the under-20s. Lewis Finley was involved with the under-20s. You've also got other exciting people. I mean, Nathan Doak. Uh, obviously, there'll be some interest in how he features after doing so well at school's level and already actually playing for Ulster A anyway while uh, while there. Mm-hmm. Um now, the academy is, you know, there's some very interesting additions. Again, like, like everything else, they're mostly, you're going to see, one would assume, club rugby, uh, underage rugby, if, you know, like Ireland underage rugby, if they're uh, young enough. And probably if, if, it, if it's in any way back with us, some form of Ulster A activity, um, I'm sure there will be at the very least, they'll try and play Interpros. So that those may well be the, the most likely ways you're going to see uh, how those guys go. Um, unfortunately, for some of them, they didn't get their school's cup final. Um, but anyway, now they're, they're starting afresh, and we'll see how they go. To, I, I'm very interested to see how Tom Stewart goes, because a lot's been said about him. Obviously, a lot's been said about Aaron Sexton as well. It didn't, we didn't really see him at all last season. So we'd like it would be, it would be very interesting to see uh, where he's at. Uh, but like with a lot of these guys, it's one hell of a hard treadmill they've just they're on, or if they're not, you know, if they're fresh to it, or if they've already been there. So uh, there's a lot they have to do before we're likely to see that many of them coming through. Mm-hmm. Well, when are we likely to see anybody uh, on a pitch again? Do we we know anything more about it at this stage? Obviously, the, the Stormont executive uh, put out their five point. Uh, plan. Arlene Foster said she sort of hoped to be at stage five, which is full contact sports by December, which <coughs> is overly hopeful. So, um, what's the what's the state of play? Could we see an Ulster team playing elsewhere uh, sooner? Yeah, we <laughs> we we could. I mean, <laughs> anything could happen. I mean, you know, if I mean, it, it's been it's been written about and and and, and talked about if. If the Republic come back earlier, there isn't any reason why if the southern provinces wanted to play each other that Ulster couldn't do the same. But they, in that instance, would have to relocate mm. to another, the you know, to the Republic, to the jurisdiction there to be able to play potentially if Northern Ireland isn't back. And I think the final stage in the Republic, if I'm right in thinking, is sort of penciled in around August September. I think August I meant 10. to check that before I come on. Is that right? But August tenth, yeah. Yeah, so in theory, they can they can actually play and, and and presumably build up towards playing. Whereas here, it's it's not so clear cut. But I, you know, if if that were to happen, I'm sure Ulster would want 
and, and, and the IRF, you would want Ulster to probably be part of that process just to get playing again. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. The goal, but, it seems like, is to play, in the best case scenario, is to play behind closed doors, mm. interpros, at the end of August. Yeah. In the Aviva. Uh-huh. But in order to do that, it would seem like it's a necessity for Ulster to train elsewhere because they're not going to be able to train here, technically, mm-hmm. it would appear. So while whenever this story first came out, it was put to me that it was one of many suggestions and that the people in charge were being very proactive in terms of throwing out lots of ideas and that this was just one of a number of ideas. It sort of now seems like it's the only way that they're going to be able to get the show on the road. Yeah. And like yeah. that's... I like I'm not intelligent enough to be able to decipher everything coming out of Stormont, but to me it seems very much like there's mixed bits coming out of Stormont of when, you know, they were up was it they were hopeful by December, but then the next day they were saying, Oh no, we're pretty confident by December. So I don't know what changed in those like sixteen hours, but mm-hmm. either way it certainly seems yeah. like south of the border you're gonna be able to do group training faster and you need to do four to six weeks by all kinds of group training in order to play again yeah the other thing to note of course is that like while i'm sure the players want to get back playing again it also has to be considered safe for them to do so so you know Hmm. trying to weigh up I suppose your mental well-being and your financial well-being mm-hmm. against the physical well-being. So for like a rake of young guys who are used to so much physical activity, I'm sure being locked up in their houses with nothing to do isn't great for anybody's mental well-being, but especially guys in that situation. Yeah. Obviously, financially, we know that there have been wage deferrals. We know that the squad are furloughed. So at some point for the players, if it hasn't already happened, it not playing rugby creates financial concerns. Mm-hmm. But then you also see reports that say things like, you know, if one prop has coronavirus, <laughs> then by the time you have a series of scrums, all six of them are going to have it. So... Yeah. There's so many obstacles and hurdles to clear. Mm-hmm. But that to me seems like the earliest that August, that those two Saturdays at the end of August for Interpros seem to be, I suppose, the best case scenario target. Yeah. And even and then you get into the idea that that's all well and good. But after that, if you're going to finish the Pro 14, teams are going to have to go somewhere else. Yeah. Oh, like they're going to have to travel between six different jurisdictions. Yeah, which doesn't seem in any form, way, shape, no. realistic it, at it, all. None of it really looks terribly feasible. It's obviously aspirational that it can happen, but, you know, and, and I mean, if there's a vaccine, surely, you know, maybe that will accelerate things greatly, but we, we know, I think, that there won't be one for quite some time. So there'll always be that danger and risk, I suppose, that the virus... Mm-hmm. It remains out there and can be very easily spread with close contact situations. 
um, like rugby. But it's it you know in a vacuum like this, you know you you just get new theories coming out all the time as to what may happen and how it may well play out. But I don't think anybody really knows um, how feasible any of this is. And you're right to point out that the players are often forgotten about all this. In all this, it's like right, yes, look, if we could get back playing and and this is what we could do, and that'll be great. Um, but you know just. Where are some of those players in relation to uh, both mentally and physically after now all this inactivity? Something none of them have ever experienced before. Um, it's easy for us, but you know these guys. <laughs> this is their livelihood. This is what they do. They stay fit. They stay in constant situations with other other guys, other squads, training against each other on a daily basis and playing matches week in week out, and all that's been taken away from them. How? How will they be equipped to come back if indeed they come back anytime soon? And the longer it goes on, how much more difficult will that prove to be? Never leaving aside all the um, the small print about how they're going to actually play these games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then of course, there is the question of why it matters. Because it's you can play four interpros in mm. two weeks and they would be considered competitive games for the Pro 14. But in terms of the competition, like if they're just playing local games, like one of the proposals that was out there mm. was the Cheetahs playing the Kings twice and Glasgow playing Edinburgh twice. Those aren't fixtures that are still on the fixture list. Mm-hmm. So that they're just playing games for the sake of it and then counting them towards the Pro 14, presumably for reasons solely to appease broadcasters or something because, yeah. you know, it's probably not going to happen, but say they went for that theory. Ulster lost twice to Connacht and Leinster. Glasgow lost twice to Edinburgh. And the Cheetahs made these theoretical playoffs. Having got 20 points in a season off the Southern Kings, I'd have say that's nearly half their total would have come from games against the Southern Kings that weren't even on the fixture list at the start of the season. So, like, at that point, personally, and I know not everybody agrees with this, but your competition's ruined at that stage. If that's what you're having to do to finish it, then... What's the point? Exactly. Just, you know. The, the only other alternative being just so, so mad, but I, I think this has been suggested, that they all fly in somewhere and quarantine and then just stay in one jurisdiction. Again, I think, was it Ireland that was mentioned? I think I yeah. saw this somewhere, that this was a possibility that was out there too. But That's all very well if you're talking about Premier League footballers who are getting 50 grand a week or something and you're saying, right, you can't see your families for six weeks. Yeah. 100 grand a week, so suck it up. It's yep. a different kettle of fish when you're doing that to Michael Lowry, do you know what I mean? And saying, no, yeah. you have to move away from your family for two months because we need this season finished. Like, yeah, as you said, well, what's yeah. the point when you get to that stage? That would have been my exact thought process about the whole moving Ulster to Dundalk or Donegal or wherever. Mm-hmm. It's like it's all well and good to say that we can cocoon these, you know, guys here being compensated enough for it. But and it's just again, it's just personal opinion. I don't think rugby players are well compensated enough for that. To be honest, no, to say you have to put your health at risk. And you essentially have to go into a bubble for two months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and this is all behind closed doors as well. Remember, yeah. yeah. So rugby is essentially an antiquated financial model compared to other global sports, mm. in the sense that they still generate so much more of their money through the actual hosting of games rather than people watching games on TV. So when you're talking about the Premier League coming back without fans or the NFL coming back, or sorry, the NFL kicking off in September as normal without fans to appease broadcasters, you can at least see that there is like, not if not a necessity, a financial motivation. Mm. Like the, the money that teams like Ulster get from TV compared to the money that teams like Ulster get from actually selling tickets and having fans through the gate, yeah. sponsorship through the gate, and the associated marketing boost of that mm-hmm. is just a completely different, it's a completely different formula, really. So a couple of listener questions then we can deal with before we go. The first one comes in from Stephen McCormick, and I'm sure is uh, something that a lot of our listeners are going to be very interested in. So Stephen asks, are relationships strained between the Belfast Telegraph, its sports reporters, and Ulster Rugby following the various critical articles on various players? I was sort of going to like say that, it, you know, sports and news is like backs and forwards, but to be honest, it's actually like more detached than that. and like people find it hard to believe I think but like I remember one time there was like a presser up at uh, Ravenhill and a news journalist was there like I asked afterwards who it was and it was Richie Finley who's Ulster's old comms manager had to tell me that she actually worked for the Telegraph and like I know that sounds like it might be a bit of a cop-out it's not what I'm trying to do but like genuinely like it's hard to overstress how detached the two things are but there's two aspects to it, I suppose. Like, you know, so everything that I write and everything that I've ever, and like, I take complete responsibility for because it's under my name, obviously. And if anyone in Ulster has a problem with that, I'm just talking about general relationships now. If anyone in Ulster has had a problem with that, hopefully it's explained in the article. And if, if I haven't done that well enough, then I'll explain it in person and on occasion have had to because of course it happens because part of your job is to offer up a critique and scrutiny of what Ulster are doing on the field so like it's happened with you know people that I've liked personally but part of my job has been to criticize whatever you know how many tries Ulster conceding how many tries Ulster scoring whatever but I suppose again to stress that we're not in a position to talk about other people's work whether it's in the telegraph or elsewhere like because it's not something that i've written so it just wouldn't be something i would do um but in a wider sense again i mean sports and news departments are always going to have different agendas because they're essentially two completely different things like the agenda my agenda in covering sport is to write things that I would find interesting on the basis that presumably then sports fans and people who are reading about sport will find it interesting as well. News is a completely different beast, I guess. Like I understand why players or sports organizations probably don't see it in the same way because I mean, realistically it's like me taken against Ulster players when Munster lose 
because the paychecks are signed by the same people. Like, that's the bones of the situation. But again, I understand why people don't see it that way because it's all coming out under the same brand. And in a way, obviously, that just from what like just from what I've seen over doing my job over the course, like it does affect um, relationships with sporting organisations. But in to look at it again, very very generally, like I don't. I don't like this idea of like, don't bite the hand that feeds you approach because that's not journalism. Like if in a strictly hypothetical situation, something newsworthy emerged involving an Ulster player that they wouldn't want to be publicized. Like if it's, if it is newsworthy, then of course there'd be no problem with that because at the end of the day, that's what, journalism is it's not public relations and like that you know don't bite the hand of Fiji is a thing that I've seen a few times recently and it's like if you apply that to the real world and to say the real world is things that aren't sports and that's like state-run media you know and you have this situation where I would think there is a worry in the future about the increasing amount of um I guess control that you could have from say a sporting organization's point of view, if our relationships deteriorated or whatever, and people think that sporting organizations should just have nothing to do with the media because like, just to use an example, right? So like throughout some of the stuff that we've been doing, we've um, had to go into the archives. And that's essentially what I've been using as a record for, say, how rugby got out of their last stoppage or whatever. And I don't think like future generations will be able to do that because like the players are just so shut away, I guess. So like, you know, in a hundred years, if you go and look for the record of what's happening now, like it's all just going to be like wallpaper Wednesdays and, quizzes and the like which isn't really gonna it doesn't really tell the story now i understand people like it i understand what it's there for but like it's not the same thing to me but that would be a concern of mine moving forward not to do with the original situation that um is mentioned in or referred to in the question but just in general i suppose and that would be a reason why i suppose if organizations could see the mutual benefit of each other but it's obviously a difficult situation i guess um hopefully that does answer stephen's question um but it it also leads us on to uh, pointing to some of the uh, stories that we are doing in the sports department um in terms of trying to keep our uh, ulster uh, fans uh, readers and listeners entertained and uh, michael um you have been uh, central to that over recent weeks with uh, some uh, some great features with uh, the with, uh, previous Ulster players um, in the Sunday Life every week at the minute? Well, yes, you, you, you have to attempt to, I hate to use the word creative, because it's not really creative, but you have to try to be, as you all know, a bit creative in this, because there's just no live sports. You have to go looking and finding people people from the past. And uh, that's actually been quite interesting. It, it's very, very good to catch up with them. Everyone, if you like, is trying to do that at the moment. Uh, you guys and everyone are, are, 
or doing feature feature driven stuff is the only kind of sport we can do now. So in a way, it's actually been very good to to take that step back and, and go and talk to these guys again about things that have happened in the past. I'm sure you guys have discovered in the various things that you've also done too. Yeah, no, it's great, great to, to have the time to be able to look into these uh, stories that are a little bit different and um, try and do all we can to keep uh, sports fans' minds off the uh, everything else that's going on in the world at the minute and the, the pandemic. So it's a challenge, but um, hopefully we're we're coming up with some, some something interesting every now and then. Um, we'll get back to Thanks for the plug. <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to Ulster before we leave, and uh, we're better to leave it than with the weekly donut who asks if last year's run was an overachievement for Ulster and this season um, the problems were on target for more knockout rugby, so that would have been another success. What represents success next season? Playing. <laughs> yeah, just anything over about three games would be would be successful. Not genuinely, you, you jest, but genuinely. Um, hard, mm-hmm. like, it's hard to picture what the 2021 season is actually going but, to be like, what competitions will or will not be played. Exactly, and how they may be structured, whether they can get Europe up and running again. You know, there are all manner of questions which aren't resolved. I think having any form of a season next season and getting rugby back on track, to my, to me, would be an achievement. I, don't, I couldn't even begin to, to speculate as to where and how they might improve in terms of going to knockout rugby because... We just simply have no idea what we'll be looking at. No, absolutely, absolutely. You might see, you might see like straight knockout European rugby, which would really complicate things. You know, you look at the situation in France where they're trying to get eight teams into <laughs> next season's competition, and um, because, well, essentially because Toulouse and Montpellier at the minute are outside the qualification places and they've cancelled their league, so. Yeah. Um, you know, you could see a situation where you get straight knockout and you draw Leinster in the first round, which makes it very hard to judge how far you've come. But <laughs> I think, like, yeah. generally, we always talked about on this podcast a lot about how coaches have been able to successfully revamp teams in three years to win silverware. Obviously, this season, no matter how it finishes, has been curtailed. So, Dan McFarlane has lost a massive chunk of his second season, but I think the picture's changed as well so much from uh, Connacht, Scarlets, Glasgow, all those sides that basically brought in new coaches and were able to win the league within three years because Leinster are so much better than everybody else now in a way that as good as some of their previous sides had been, the gap wasn't as big, I don't think, personally. So, I think until like in terms of progression, you're just looking at getting closer to Leinster again next year, which is probably what we would have said. Yeah. Uh, this year, you know. Yeah, but who knows? As we say, what that uh, season will look like. Uh, who knows when uh, we'll be back talking to you again in the podcast. We will try and come back um, in the nearish future, whenever we know uh, a little bit more, maybe about um, the world of rugby and how that's going to emerge. Uh, until then, I'm going to try and grow a beard in the meantime. <laughs> Just we'll be You've got about six weeks to catch up on her. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in that time, we will, of course, still be doing all we can as sports reporters to entertain you all uh, with um, some interesting features and stories. So if you have any ideas for those, you can contribute to us. We are 
as always, open to those rugby or otherwise. But for now, then, uh, from Michael Sadler. Hi, everybody. From John Bradley. Thank you. And myself, Gareth Allen. Thanks for listening.